Welcome to This Week in Astrology. This is episode number 317 for the week of June 24th, 2013. This Week in Astrology is the free podcast that deepens your astrological wisdom. We always start with the coming week's astrological forecast and regularly feature listener emails, recorded listener consultations, and interviews with other astrologers. Make This Week in Astrology a regular part of your astrological education. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Bernstein, broadcasting from the virtual location of ThisWeekInAstrology.com and the physical location of Asheville, North Carolina. We have a long show this week. We're going to start, as always, with the forecast for the next seven days, followed by the next week's sneak preview. Then we're going to have a few quick announcements, and then we'll get on to our feature, which is our interview with astrologer Shelley Enteen. It has been a while since I've done an astrologer interview. Uh, Shelley spoke just a few days ago for the Asheville Friends of Astrology and was really fascinated by her take on the interaction between Venus and Mars and Venus and the Moon. This was a lecture on relationship astrology. And she said, when you look at the phase relationship between Venus and Mars, you can tell a lot about the kind of relationship a person is going to move into and how many they've had and other things about that relationship. And she also talked about how the phase relationship between Venus and the Moon can tell a lot about how compatible you will be actually cohabiting with your beloved fascinating stuff I had not thought about before. So she elaborates on both these points on this interview and some other stuff too. Hope you enjoy learning about this stuff as much as I did. So that's our show for the week. Let's dive into the forecast. Let's start with what's old. We've got a waning moon. We have some aspect patterns in play, a Sun-Saturn-Neptune grand trine through July 4th. We've got a Jupiter-Saturn-Neptune grand trine through August 16th. And we also have some retrograde planets. We have Saturn through July 8th, Pluto through September 20th, Juno through September 24th, Neptune through November 13th, and Chiron through November 19th. What's new this week? Here's the highlights. Mercury is retrograde June 26th through July 20th. Delay major new projects and major purchases if possible. Jupiter enters Cancer June 25th through July 16th of 2014. A little over a year for that. Amplifying motherhood, family, nurturing, and security. Revolutionary transformation in these same areas is instigated by a cancer-focused Sun-Uranus-Pluto T-square. That's through July 11th. And it's vision board and visualization time with the peaking of a grand trine involving the Sun, Saturn, and Neptune. Quite an intense week and a lot of opportunity there. So is there anything I did not mention specifically here? Um... As part of that uh, grand trine peaking with the Sun, Saturn, and Neptune, we also have exact hits on the Sun trine Saturn and the Sun trine Neptune. We also have Venus entering Leo and Venus also conjunct Ceres. Let's go day by day and give you some concrete strategies. On Monday, June 24th, we have only a void of course moon that's kicking in here at 10.24 p.m., and again, that's our only event for Monday, June 24th. On Tuesday, June 25th, the moon ends that void by coming into Aquarius. That's at 3.27 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The moon in Aquarius is about letting your freak flag fly, uh, listening to your intuitive flashes, letting your mind be vitalized by genius, and doing humanitarian things that are good for everybody. 
We have a very major event also today, Jupiter entering Cancer. And that is going to be the greater benefic, as Jupiter is known in ancient astrology, uh, in the sign of Cancer through July 16th, 2014. Jupiter amplifies whatever it touches, so the energies of motherhood, family, nurturing, and security will receive over a year of emphasis. You're going to hear those keywords a lot in this forecast. We have a lot of things happening in the sign of Cancer this week. This is also a good time to do adventurous, quest-like activities as a family. We also have a new aspect pattern kicking off. The ongoing Uranus-Pluto square, which is going on for years, is re-energized as the sun joins them to form a T-square. Personally embodying their energy of revolutionary transformation is emphatically supported. Since the sun's in cancer throughout this T-square, powerful paradigm shifts are also supported in the realms of, you guessed it, family, nurturing, and security. This T-square again starts today here on Tuesday, June 25th, peaks on July 2nd, and ends on July 11th. Let's look at Wednesday, June 26th. We open with the Sun trine Saturn, the Sun at 5 Cancer, Saturn at 5 Scorpio. This is going to be brought into an interpretation in a moment, so we're going to let that rest for just a moment. Next, we're going to talk about Mercury Retrograde. Mercury does turn retrograde today. Again, that is Wednesday, June 26th at 9.07 a.m. It will turn direct again on July 20th at 2.23 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. During this interval, as always with Mercury retrograde, avoid initiating major new projects or making major purchases if possible. You got to do what you got to do, but if you can stay in alignment with this, that's even better. However, it's an excellent time during Mercury Retrograde to complete projects already started and to engage in introspection and reflection. Communications and technology are more easily disrupted during Mercury Retrograde. It rules those sorts of things. So make sure you're understanding and being understood and back up all your critical data. This Mercury Retrograde takes place within the sign of Cancer. Ready for those Cancer keywords again? Reflection on family, security, nurturing, and healing are especially supported. We're not done, though, with Wednesday, June 26. We have a void moon kicking in at 9.09 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Next up, the moon is conjunct Juno, and that's around 9.30 a.m. And a moon-Juno conjunction for a few hours either side puts that Juno energy out of the uh, faithful keeper of the home. And there's also, I don't usually mention this, but Juno rules the three phases of, of womanhood, um, maiden, mother, and crone. So there's some of that energy in the air as well. We also have the Sun trine Neptune. I mentioned earlier today we had Sun trine Saturn. So this is that grand trine forming, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, again, as the Sun trines Neptune, the Sun is at 5 Cancer, Neptune at 5 Pisces. Then we have Mars trine Juno. Uh, this is additional amplification. The moon conjunct Juno the same day as Mars trines it. Just again, it gives more energy yet to that energy of keeping the home fires burning and the phases of womanhood that I already talked about. But let's talk about that grand trine I keep alluding to. It's with the Sun, Saturn, and Neptune. Now, on last week's show in the June 18th section, I described the massive law of attraction potential of the two-month Jupiter-Saturn-Neptune Grand Trine. This aspect pattern reaches its first peak today, not because of what Jupiter is doing with them, but because another Grand Trine with the Sun, Saturn, and Neptune is reaching its peak. 
This briefer grand trine again peaks today as the sun trines both Saturn and Neptune, as I've already mentioned. The sun adds vitality to the Jupiter's Saturn-Neptune grand trine, and it helps you personally embody its energy. It's vision board and visualization time. This sun-Saturn-Neptune grand trine ends on July 4th. And that is enough for Wednesday, June 26th. On Thursday, June 27th, we have the void moon that started on Wednesday. And let's just recap when that happened. The Wednesday void moon started on June 26th here at 9 or 9 a.m. And now here on Thursday, June 27th, the moon's entering Pisces at 4.32 a.m., thus forming the void moon period. And that would make that void about 19, 20 hours or so. It's a pretty long one. As the moon enters Pisces, we then get the vibe of... um, dreams and visions and fantasies and really connecting with the divine flow and letting your creative inspiration really flow smoothly. Some wonderful things to do with the moon in Pisces. Also today, we have Venus entering the sign of Leo. Uh, And she's going to be there through July 22nd, a little under a month. This is a great time to let your inner diva break out her rhinestones and tiara. It's also an excellent time to give your creative efforts an audience. Venus is the artist and Leo is the spotlighted performer. They go together real easily. And if you're inclined to dramatic proclamations of love, this is your moment. One final event here on Thursday, June 27th. The moon conjuncts Neptune, and that's around 1.30 p.m., exactly the same interpretation as I gave the moon entering Pisces. Focus on fantasy, dreams, movies, visions, divine connection, Um, divine inspiration flowing through you, all that lovely sort of thing. Since Neptune and Pisces are astrological synonyms. Let's look at Friday, June 28th. We open with a moon Chiron conjunction. That's around 4 a.m. U.S. Eastern time. A little more energy on the wounded healer planet. Maybe it'll give you some fresh wounds so you can heal some of your old stuff. Maybe you'll just experience some level of mentoring and healing, either giving it or receiving it. All that stuff is possible with a Moon-Chiron conjunction. We also today have a Mars-Saturn sesquiquadrate. A sesquiquadrate, uh, sometimes also known as a sesquisquare. Neither word is super easy to pronounce, but it just means a uh, square and a half. 90 degrees plus 45 is a 135 degree angle, and it's minor irritation. So Mars and Saturn come together like this. There may be a sense of driving with the brakes on a little bit. Uh, Be aware of any restriction around the environment you're in. But, as always, hard angles can be put to productive use. Anytime you put Mars and Saturn together, you can create the Energizer Bunny effect. So if you're willing to possibly overcome a bit of challenge, you may find that you have tremendous endurance. So those are some ways to play with the Mars-Saturn sesquiquadrate. And finally, here on June 28th, Friday, we have another void moon kicking in. This one is starting at 8.17 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And that's it for Friday. On Saturday, June 29th, we have simply the moon's entry into its next sign. Again, just to refresh you super quick, on Friday, the moon went void at 8.17 p.m. Now, a little over 12 hours later, it's coming into its next sign of Aries on Saturday, the 29th, at 9.07 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. This is the first sign around the bend. So, moon and Aries is new beginnings, the warrior, the pioneer, sexuality, Uh, appropriate assertiveness if you want to use it on the high side. 
Our final day, Sunday, June 30th, last day of the month. Handy little dovetail there with the forecast ending on the last day. We have a Moon-Uranus conjunction. This is right around 8 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And this is kind of like the Moon in Aquarius. Uh, again, Uranus and Aquarius are also astrological synonyms. So here you want to just let your freak flag fly, follow your intuitive flashes, uh, be a humanitarian and do what's good, what's do what's for the good of all and not just for yourself, that sort of thing is excellent use of a Moon-Uranus conjunction. And we have one last event that's not Moon. We have Venus and Ceres conjunct. They're coming together at around three and a half Leo. Since both planets are money archetypes, uh, Venus rules Taurus, which is a natural money energy, and Ceres is the grain goddess and is a natural representative of abundance, including financial abundance. So as they both come together here in the sign of Leo, it's a great time to focus your law of attraction visualizations on financial abundance. If you want to get a bonus point for it being in Leo, then maybe you can visualize something around abundance in some way around playfulness or children, your inner child, uh, performance, uh, relaxation, risk-taking. You can really play the Leo archetypes therein if you wish. Or you can just keep it simple and say, I want money. And that ends our forecast for the week. Let's look ahead to the week of July 1st. It's a week about Venus and the sun. Venus is making four aspects to slower planets, most of them challenging. She is going to square Saturn, quincunx both Neptune and Pluto, and trine Uranus. Sun is doing similar activity. It's opposing Pluto, squaring Uranus. That means that uh, T-square is coming exact, don't you know? And the sun's also trining Chiron. And then another entry into Leo, the asteroid goddess Vesta. And as always, I'll be here helping you make the best use of these astrological energies. Be sure to tune in. Coming up next, our announcements and our interview with astrologer Shelley Enteen. You can hear my weekly forecast every week on This Week in Astrology, but would you also like to get a free, concise version in writing? How about having it conveniently pop into your inbox every week? And while we're at it, how about occasional bonus articles on astrology, along with simple, powerful healing and awakening techniques? That's what you get with AstroShaman's free weekly email newsletter. To subscribe, go to astroshaman.com. You'll see the newsletter sign-up form at the top of the sidebar. And if you like calculating your own astrology charts, why not use the world's leading Windows astrology software and get it for the lowest price available? It's All Good Astrology is an authorized dealer for Solar Fire Gold. It'll even run on your Mac under Windows emulation software. To learn more or place your order, visit astroshaman.com. From there, click on Products in the menu bar and choose Solar Fire Software from the drop-down menu. A free weekly forecast and the best available price on Solar Fire Gold. Two great reasons to visit astroshaman.com right now. I'd like to take a moment for some brief announcements. Info on everything I'm about to talk about can be found on the homepage of astroshaman.com. Just look in the What's New section. You may have to scroll slightly down from the top of the homepage. I'm going to host the next Wake Up Meetup on Tuesday, June 25th. That's tomorrow as I record this. That's from 7.30 to 9 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. I'll discuss my experience of spiritual awakening and answer questions. I'm also going to lead invocations that can help you access that state, or if you're already there, go into it more deeply. You can either attend in person or by phone, in person here in Asheville, North Carolina, by phone from anywhere. 
And the very next night, on Wednesday, June 26, I will be doing this live in person in Hendersonville, North Carolina, at the Namaste Center. So that's going to be at 7 p.m. So if you'd like to experience the Heal and Awaken vocations in person in a group when it gets really nice and juicy and powerful, come on down. And the following week on Tuesday, July 2nd, I'll once again be doing my shamanic invocation Heal and Awaken meetup. That's where I do the invocations empowered by my shamanic tools to give it some extra juice and zest. And uh, I finally, uh, I left the special up kind of long on the transpersonal astrology book I've been talking about, but it is now its own page. To get to it now, you go to uh, astroshaman.com and go to the products menu bar, and it's now the fourth drop down from there. It says uh, uh, transpersonal astrology book. And I kept part of the special. I went ahead and kept the free shipping part. Uh, but I went ahead and brought the book back to its retail price of twenty four ninety five, which is about what it's going for on Amazon. And, and once again, if you do buy the book, please do buy it from me. Because if you buy it from me, I make a few bucks. If you buy it from Amazon, I get nothing. So if you buy it from me, if you're a U.S. Uh, customer, then you get it for twenty four ninety five with free shipping. Kind of the same as if you bought it from Amazon and met their $25 minimum. If you're an international customer, I will deduct $3 from whatever your shipping cost actually is. So again, details on that are on the homepage of astroshaman.com, also in the What's New area right now. I've read now the entire book. It's really, really good. I, again, would be strongly recommending it, even if I didn't have my shamanic astrology article contained within it. And I did get an email from the lady who won the free consultation on last week's show. I give away a free consult every time the seasons change. Elizabeth has contacted me and claimed her prize. Congratulations, Elizabeth. And that's all our announcements. Our talk with astrologer Shelley Enteen will be right after this music break. That was from Lila, spelled L-I-L-A, by Alex DeGrassi, whose last name is spelled D-E-G-R-A-S-S-I. Welcome to our astrologer interview with Shelley Emteen. Shelley, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, I'm delighted to have been invited, Benjamin. And let me just tell you a tiny bit about Shelley. The reason I chose her to be on the show is because she just spoke for the Asheville Friends of Astrology, which I'm a member of and did a really fascinating uh, lecture on going beyond uh, the obvious things in relationship interpretation. And, and two concepts that I found particularly interesting that you talked about, Shelley, were 
the the relationship in the natal chart between Venus and Mars, uh, sort of treating Venus like the the Moon and Mars like the Sun, where what's the you know what's the phase relationship between them, and then you did the same thing also with the Moon and Venus, and I found what you were able to deduce about people from those angular relationships quite fascinating, and that's definitely something I'd love to get into here on the show. Absolutely, understand you have to do that. Um, you know. I'm thinking that I was speaking about it that night because of the solar Gemini influence, which has a lot to do with relating with each other. Uh So um, I did bring up a lot of the different facets, and people are unaware of the fact that we're always relating through all aspects of our birth chart, Uh and not just Venus and Mars. I thought it was important to understand that and to um, also accept the way we relate and see if we could find out, you know, how we can make that work for us in our lives. Beautiful. Also, I was just thinking about how we have Saturn and Scorpio at the moment. Uh Uh-huh. And I was talking with a friend of mine who's an evolutionary astrologer, and we were talking about this recently, and... Scorpio, not Libra, is the sign of commitment. Mm-hmm. Libra is where we weigh things. We take a look at what we are interested in and we check things out. But it's Scorpio that we actually make a commitment to someone. Mm-hmm. And some of the deeper and unknown things about how we process that commitment are active now because of Saturn's um, passage through Scorpio. So maybe it is, you know, you know, just the right time to be hmm. talking about all of this. Cool. And let me note that we're actually doing this recording on June 20th, 2013. If you're listening to the show sometime later, you'll know when we did it. And, and could I tell the listeners a little bit about you, Shelley, before we dive into the topic? Yeah. Okay. Um, your Shelley's website is astralessence.com, and that's A-S-T-R-A-L-E-S-S-E-N-C-E.com. And your your bio reveals that you're a whole lot more than just astrology. Um, you did study, apparently, with Jeffrey Wolf Green and, and were heavy into the evolutionary astrology school. I assume that's still a strong influence in your work. Yes. Okay. And then uh, back in the late 70s through part of the 80s, you went to the Actualism School of Lightwork Meditation, where you started having more energetic stuff. Um, you apparently also are very active in aromatherapy. Um, you're, you know, writing articles about it, and you're on a you know, national board about that, if I'm remembering right. And, and for, for correct me if I'm wrong about that. But uh, Well, I've been, I was on the board for nine years, and I just went off in January Oh, okay. a little break. Okay, yeah, that, that's long enough. <laughs> Break but, is good, right? Yeah. So are you still doing massage professionally along with aromatherapy or just the aromatherapy? I, the massage work has seemed to phase back out. I mean, honestly, the first thing that came in was astrology. Uh-huh. The very first thing as an unusual direction hmm. in my life. And that led me into the ideas of health and helping people with their health because I have Virgo rising in my chart. Ah. So I was interested in that and, you know, explored different areas and then that took me into massage. But I find that my fascination with energy work and the mind-body connection is taking me out of 
you know, the type of massage work that I did, and I'm now focused more on Jinchen Jitsu, which is a physio philosophy, Japanese. It's very similar to acupuncture, but very gentle, just hands and reiki. Huh. So I'm, I'm moving more into that realm and, and really reactivated the astrology um, several years ago. Hmm, nice. Yeah, and I, I see you're also, you do, you do EFT as well, it says, and then you're also a photographer, right? Yes. <laughs> so you, you're, you're quite the Renaissance woman. <laughs> well, you know, if you have a moon in Gemini in the 10th house with a Uranus conjunction, it's hard to stay <laughs> in this one place. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny, my, uh, my mentor, Kelly Phipps, has a moon in Gemini. And he said when he knew his Gemini moon was going to be activated strongly, he would, at the beginning of the day, lay out eight different projects on a big table, and he'd set one-hour timers, and would just, timer goes off, jump to the next project kind of thing. (laughs) I wonder what part of his chart was helping him structure it. (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Uh, I don't have um, that part. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So, um, So I think that gives some of your background. Uh, I sense there's a missing piece somewhere, but it's not coming to mind, so we'll fill it in later. Well, I am an interfaith reverend with okay. the Alliance of Divine Love, and I have also been giving talks, um, Sunday service-type talks at you know, Namaste Center. Hmm. I do, you know, educate also. Nice. And you live in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, right? Yes, yeah, at this hmm. present time. Okay. But uh, I see that you also will work by phone or Skype with clients anywhere, right? Oh, yes. Okay, great. Absolutely. Okay. And, and email. I do some brief readings, you know, a question or something like that. I'll do through the email as well. Okay, nice. Okay, so that at least should give people a sense of, of what some of your background is and what your experience is. Yes, thank um, you. So... So if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love for you to elucidate your idea about how the relationship between Venus and Mars and between Venus and the moon gives us additional information when we're looking at a person's relating um, Okay, essence. wonderful. Well, as I mentioned, um, I came to this uh, understanding through working with Jeff Green and his evolutionary school, but he also worked with uh, Buzz Myers, who had uh, a wonderful philosophy called being on time with your life and watching the different cycles and phases. Mm. And I also had listened to Buzz uh, quite a bit in a certain part of my astrology life. And I thought his work was phenomenal, too, because he believed, and I think it is true, that every single planet has a phase relationship to another, especially when we look at the birth chart. Uh, you know, we have the faster-moving planets as the ones that are actually making the phasal relationships, such as the moon makes with the sun. So mm-hmm. we're always having to find which planet is moving faster in relation to the other. When we look at the birth chart, For instance, the Venus and Mars. Venus is going to, generally speaking, be moving faster. We have retrograde cycles or something, but we don't usually look at that. Just looking at the fact that Venus is moving in relation to Mars, we have the same phases that we have with the moon, 
this planet. So when we look in the evolutionary sense, we're looking at the conjunction point, even if that's not what you have in the birth chart, as where Mars is when you're born. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if um, if I'm looking at the chart of Prince Charles of England, which everybody could do if they wanted to search him out, would you give that birth date? Find a... that he has Mars in Sagittarius. Shelley, would you would you mind giving that birth data right now so people can just generate the chart real quick and Absolutely. easy if they want to? Uh, Prince Charles was born on November 14, 1948, at 9.14 p.m. in London, England. Okay. And so he has this uh, Mars at 20 degrees of Sagittarius. So the starting point of his learning about relationships of the heart of Venus and the heart is going to be Sagittarian, which means he's exploring how to be in a partnership based on, for one thing, commonly shared truths. Sagittarius is very much a sign of truth and natural law, but it's also a sign of expansion and a certain amount of freedom involved in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, as an individual, this is a person who has traveled intensely and all over the world, one would say, with a Mars and Sag helping him have the energy to do that. So he is learning about how to have this committed love relationship, let's say, with this need to have this expansion and this ability to have that freedom of movement. So, you know, this is also a position that doesn't like to settle down easily. (laughs) I mean, if people with moon in Sagittarius have a hard time sitting still for any period of time, literally. Hmm. Talk to them and you find them shifting around, you know. But, so the Mars energy for him is the thing that made it kind of hard for him to make a commitment and settle down and why it took him so long, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But also his Venus is in the sign of Libra. So he does place a lot of value on the idea of having a partner, because Venus does also show us what we value. And Venus is conjunct Neptune. That's another aspect of it. It's right there together. It's actually separating from the conjunction. If you look at a phase, it's a new phase to Neptune. So it is saying, I have high ideals. I actually have spiritual ideals and and a lot of images about what relationships should be. And his phase, for those of us who uh, can look at the zodiac, Libra comes prior to Sagittarius by what we call a sextal, yes, a sextal aspect, and it's 60 degrees of separation. We are looking at Venus coming then back towards Sagittarius. It's like coming in towards that Mars. So it has been around, if we look at evolutionary astrology, it's been around most of the chart, I mean, 300 degrees almost, of the chart of the 360. It has had its phases, its new, 
its waxing crescent, its first quarter, its gibbous full disseminating last quarter. It has had all these phases which have their own meaning. I don't know if you would like me to just give a key word for those meanings now, Benjamin, or? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, the way I look at it, and these are just very short ideas, you know, you can expand on all of this tremendously. <laughs> but at the new phase, we're planting the seed. We have no idea, really. You know, it's underground. We, we don't really see it. And that's true if we have planets in a conjunction phase. It's, it's really a beginning point with a lot of unknowns. Hmm. And as we move into the waxing crescent, we know that there's some activity going on, but it's still not as visible. Maybe a little bit as it moves through that waxing crescent starts to be seen, a couple of shoots coming up, you know, and this can be in our projects for a month at a new moon. We can look at it that way, too. Seeds are starting to have something happen with them. At the first quarter phase, there is something that needs to be done. We have to take a look at what we're, we've been learning, or we have to take a look at the plant that's been growing, and we have to do something with it. If, it, if it's something we have to put out into the world or we have to have a lot of experience, um, then that's a time in, in that first quarter that we're going to be having action. When we get up to that 150 aspect, which is the, um, in conjunct, we call it in astrology, we call it in phase, the gibbous, as it's approaching full, this is a striving energy. We want the fruition. We seek it. We're actively seeking anything, if it's knowledge or experience again, or activities that will take us to the fruition on what we've begun. We get to the full moon, and we feel that we have achieved some level of objective fruition on it, whatever the project is, and mm -hmm. then when we move to the, the um, waning 150 degrees, we call it disseminating, which means now that we've had that fruition, we've got a lot of information, we want to start sharing it, not just in our personal life, but with other people. So we may have a tendency to talk about what we know now in relation to this or in terms of a project that's borne fruit. This is when we might start marketing it out there in the public, let's say, or even if it's, if it's literal fruit, taking it to the market mm -hmm. and selling it. All right. So then we've, we've been through all of this, and at that waning quarter, that last quarter moon, we're now saying, you know, I can see where I need to tweak this. If I'm going to do this again, <laughs> I would have to change this or that. There's something about this that just doesn't feel right anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start adjusting, adjusting. And so we start taking a look at the adjustment. And then that whole last quarter phase that is the process. So the, the waning crescent is when we start to, you know, take a look at the weeds, perhaps. And, and so we've got to see what it is 
that we need to release. And we'll release that as we come in on the balsamic just before the new moon and we'll start a new cycle, if that's making sense. Does that make sense, Benjamin? It does. I wanted to add to it. Uh, the only things I would add is most of what you described was in 45-degree pie cuts. Um, but it, 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 it was a little unusual for me when you got, you know, other side of the full moon and started talking about 150-degree setups instead of the 45-degree divisions. Was there a reason and, you wanted to bring the quincunx specifically into yes. there as opposed to the 45-degree divisions but that yes. people usually associate? <laughs> but thank you. You know, if you were looking at an, an aspect in a chart, it would be 150 degrees. If you're looking at phases, yes, it's 180 plus another 60, right? You're okay. Right. All right, cool. So um, as we move through those phases, now we have Prince Charles at that last 60 degrees or the waning crescent. He's not quite in balsamic yet. Okay, which two planets are we speaking of in his chart now? Okay, thank you. His Venus and Libra coming into that Mars, back to the Mars in Sag. So okay. he, in his, in his life, when he was out there searching around for um, partners to engage with, and the, as, as we move to the last phases, if you would allow the concept of reincarnation, which is definitely in the evolutionary chart system, um, you ha you have, in the other phases, had a lot of interacting, and not always with the same person, you know. So you come in to a life with the later phases, and there is more of a tendency for us to have to engage with more people, people that we may have already engaged with, and to try it on again and see what it is, that didn't work. Hmm. Really try to understand the mechanism of what wasn't working. Right? So, so for Prince Charles, that was happening. You know, there were there were probably a lot of women we didn't know about <laughs> that came into his life for various partners. Um, we know the primary two that you know have been put before us in the media, which is the marriage to Princess Diana of, of um, her uh, situation in life and how that didn't exactly work out too well, we mm -hmm. could say, yeah. and his long-term love, who he is now married to, Camilla, who is uh, now Duchess of Cambridge. So this is a chart that would, in phase experience, explain to us the fact that he isn't going to, even if one married with this phase aspect, it would be difficult to settle into one love relationship without having experiences because the soul has come in to have this understanding, to see where those things are that are going to have to be let go of. Mm. All right. Could I point out um, beyond that a couple of things I'm seeing in his natal chart that yeah, might sure. further reinforce the point about what you're saying? Um, of course, Mars and Sag tends to be an explorer and a wanderer, always off on a new quest or a sexual quest, possibly in this yeah. case. Mars is loosely conjunct Jupiter, which expands that urge. 
Mars is virtually unaspected by Ptolemaic aspect. The only Ptolemaic aspect it makes to a major planet is a trine to Pluto, which can be its own sexual energy. So that <clears throat> amps that up on top of everything else. And and it being unaspected, you know, I, I find that unaspected planets operate one of two ways. Either they have, you know, very little energy or they're uncontrollable. And sometimes they can go either way. And, you know, the other aspects indicate a very adventurous, unrestrained Mars in his chart. Does that, does yeah, that ring true for you? Yeah, I would say an adventurous, unrestrained Mars in a Scorpio. <laughs> so, you know, it really, it, it took his grandmother saying, okay, you're old enough now, we've got to marry you to someone. I'll pick her. You're not, you're not doing so well. <laughs> I'll, I'll have this, uh, this job. Thank you very much. You know, and as I as I mentioned at that lecture, and and I think it is relevant for the discussion of the royals, is that in uh, Prince Charles's chart, in one way of looking at um, rulerships of houses, which was another thing I discussed, he has Aquarius on his seventh, which is also the seventh is the fourth to his fourth, so it can be the mother of his mother, mm. and she then becomes his Uranus in Gemini, in his house of future hopes and wishes. And she is at the 29th degree retrograding uh, in Gemini. So it was her old ways of thinking that are about to go into a new direction, Mm -hmm. that Cancerian Uranus and Cancer direction, that, you know, we're choosing someone based on royal lineage, being a virgin, etc. and so forth. And we see that now that she has passed out of the picture, that is no longer an issue for the royals, mm. for the king uh, particularly. Mm. So um, she was the one. And, you know, yes, uh, there are the different schools of aspect, uh, orb, you know, with the evolutionary school, and this is to Uranus, which is, you know, again, like trining Pluto, I guess, for you, the um, Mars's opposition. So she opposed his Mars. Right. Dad also. And his, more directly, his Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Exact degree opposition. So she's saying, <laughs> okay, you're settling down now. Yeah. I oppose your expansion and your liberty. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, if we're looking at Venus and Mars phases, if we want to look at just Venus and Mars first, Mm -hmm. let me see if I can pull up another chart and see a different phase in this royal royal grouping. And Um, and for my listeners, in case I haven't already mentioned this in the introduction, excuse my voice, um, I'm going to be posting all these charts on the blog so people can just go to thisweekinastrology.blogspot.com and look at the charts there if they don't want to have to generate them on their own. Okay, I'll put them up great. as a single PDF. Good service. Well, if we look at um, Diana, Princess of Wales... Okay, and could you, once again, please give her birth data? We see, yes. July 1st, 1961. Hang on, hang on I gotta, gotta type it in. <laughs> give me a second. Oh. <laughs> Okay, I know how hard it is. Hang on. Greatest okay. typer. July 1, 1961, 7.45 p.m. 
Okay, I'm going to have to stop you again. I'm sorry. I'm having a little technical issue with my software or my, my keys. My... All right. I'm ready for the date now for Princess Diana. Please go oh, ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. You had to put her name in. Yeah. Sorry. July 1st, 1961. Okay. 7.45 p.m. Okay. And this is Sandringham. And I'm guessing that's S-A-N-D-R-I-N-G-H-A-M? Exactly. Okay. I have a chart. Thank you. So, I mean, if we look at her right away, we can see um, 18 degrees of Sagittarius rising, which is 2 degrees off the conjunction to the Mars of Prince Charles. Mmm. All right. And we, if we're looking just at the phases, so we can look at the... The fact that um, when she began her current quest, um, it was a conjunction or a new phase with Mars in Virgo. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of added weight. Mars is conjunction Pluto in Virgo, and in evolutionary astrology, that's the key um, position anyway. So this is very different. Mm -hmm. This is a very different lesson that's coming along. This is uh, highly focused on the perfection aspects, uh, being in a relationship with with someone that maybe you even work with um, on a common cause or do a common service, um, seeing the, the love nature then as related to um, how we organize life as a whole and you know no- noting all these issues of her childhood home which was anything but organized mm-hmm. and working well um, we can see that this is a life where there's still a lot that's going to be being learned although her phase her Venus is a 24 Taurus so if we're looking at this the phase is not quite, but very close to the last quarter phase. When it when it gets uh, six to seven, six seven degrees further on, <laughs> and it becomes a Gemini Venus, then then it would be in the exact um, square right. energy to Mars. So more of an applying square. Um, it is, you know, you could say in terms of regular astrology. Astrology, it is an out-of-sign square mm-hmm. at this point. So we know that coming even through the fruition and the dissemination phase, I mean, there's just a lot you could say um, looking at this chart. There is this moment here where she's starting. At this point, she's really starting to see that she did not have it figured out. You know, she's coming close to that place where she's going to be saying, I, 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 this isn't working. This isn't the way it ought to look. If I start doing this again, it's not going to be like this hmm. for me. So she's in a, a different phase. She's not quite at that place where she's, she's coming into the letting go of it all or even making the changes. She's not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you do read these, 
you you also do take into account you know the signs, the house positions. You know, it is we're just talking about a very isolated piece of the pie that you can add to the rest of it, right? Okay. You know, the phase that the Venus is in, but you can look at the Taurus energy and that it's in the fifth house and. You know, the Mars is in Virgo in the eighth house. You know, you can look at all of that um, and and make, you know, a bigger picture sure. um, take place. And then if, let's say, we were to bring up, um, let's look at uh, Camilla, the Duchess of of Cornwall. Now, she has a completely different different one than either of the others. Camilla, Duchess of Cornwall. You want to type her? or I'm ready. Okay. July 17th, 1947. Okay. She's an older woman, too. <laughs> By half a year. 7.10 a.m. Okay. London. London, UK. Let me bring her up. So we immediately can see a lot of similarities to the chart of... Prince Charles, because of the same ascendant, the Pluto in the first, there's a lot of similars. Okay. House cusps, which are also about relating. But if we look for her Venus, it's an intercepted Venus in Cancer in the 12th. Hmm. Conjunct the moon. Square Neptune. And when you say an intercepted Venus, are you referring to the fact that the sign it's in cancer is intercepted in the twelfth house? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's it's a it's a more if, if it was in the twelfth house it would be background, but this is even deeper, let's say. You know, it's a little harder to come out with it. Mm-hmm. And we did see that for quite a number of years for her. You know, she was born with that um, secret love position. Hmm. And now, his, the Mars in Camilla's chart is the opposite sign to Charles, which is also very attracting. Uh, Mars is at 11 degrees of Gemini in the 11th, so okay. the opposite house. So that's one of the places where their opposites attract, whereas a lot of the rest of it's similar. Um, her Venus, then, is in the sign just after the sign of Mars. So she's in that, oh, you know, it is so new, and her lesson was and is about discovering relationship partnership as an ability to balance the dualities, the Gemini. Um, How do I classify this relationship? How do I communicate it? How do I communicate about it? What is communication for us? in relationship how do we learn together how do we travel together you know how do we become the twins that are separate and yet the same hmm. you know and so she is just in this just starting out phase i mean she's really hasn't had a lot of experience on that level yet she found herself in a major <laughs> public uh, experience of it. Mm-hmm. All right. And, um, you know, at first, obviously, 
you know, falling in love with uh, someone who, you know, is so compatible, if you look at the rest of the chart, and yet um, his Mars and Sag is, you know, much more freedom-seeking, even. Right. Um, and so, you know, she had her separation issue and um, you know, had to marry, you know, married someone else in the interim. But um, their chart is so magnetic that it was hardly any way they were going to stay. We'll return with the conclusion of our interview with Shelley and Dean. How much valuable astrological information can you get for just $15? Far more than you might expect, thanks to the Time Passages Natal Report. This is by far the best natal computer report I've ever seen. It provides an extraordinary depth of interpretation with a consistently positive tone. A computer report can never replace a human astrologer, but the Time Passages Natal Report will provide you with a wealth of insights into your natal chart. It can also serve as a great introduction to astrology or help anyone understand themselves better. I was amazed at how much I learned about myself from its insightful interpretations. The Time Passages Natal Report also makes a unique and affordable gift for all occasions. To learn more or place your order, visit astroshaman.com. From there, click on Products in the menu bar and choose Computer Reports from the drop-down menu. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. How much valuable astrological information can you get for just $15? Order your risk-free Time Passages Natal Report and find out. So we've looked at three charts so far, and each of the charts had a different relationship between Venus and Mars in terms right. of the eight, you know, you know, sectors that they could be relating through. Um, could you, I know you gave the, the phase relationships earlier in terms of the basic idea of the eight quadrants. Um, could you now delineate those more specifically relating to relationship? Would you mind running that again and kind of nailing it down to how it would affect relationship and how one does relationship in those eight sectors? Okay, I'll, I'll give that a whirl. When Venus is conjunct Mars with it being ever so slightly ahead, I mean, so what I mean is it's in this, it could be in the same degree, but a few of the minutes are a little further advanced. Uh-huh. You know, it's no longer balsamic or, you know, it's come into the new phase, it's conjunct. Okay. Whatever the sign is that the conjunction takes place in, that is the major emphasis of the soul's work. Okay. So whatever sign of the zodiac, it's exploring love relationships and values in relationship through that sign. So um, once it sets out, it is completely new at it. It doesn't even see it. It doesn't even sort of know what the lesson is. It's just moving through experience with, you know, maybe very wide eyes, but little understanding behind it. Okay. That's the new, that's the new, new phase. And then as that crescent starts to appear as we're moving um, towards closer to the sextal aspect um, in the 60 degrees, 
then we're beginning to get an inkling of what we're working on. You know, oh, this looks like I, let's say we stay with Camilla. If this looks like I have some problems in communication, in an equal communicating with my partner. I mean, you know, maybe I'm not being heard, maybe they're not being heard, that kind of thing. There's an inequality here. So I might be seeing that, but I really am not aware yet that it's something that I'm supposed to think about much or do much about. Okay. I'm just noticing that that might be an issue for me. <laughs> so then if I get up to now the, uh, the first quarter phase, uh, that 90-degree angle around about, now I'm starting to understand that I've got to do some work on communicating with my partner. I have to see how I can make something different occur for me because there's something that has to be done. Okay. So maybe I start taking classes and communicating and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) workshops, you know. And then as I move further in my life incarnations and I get to the waxing gibbous, so now I'm at that 150, I am now active in seeking understanding about this. What makes a partnership equal? You know, how do how do we communicate perfectly in partnership? And I'm, you know, I'm really delving into it. Maybe I even write about it myself now, mm. so I can get even more understanding. I, um, and just to, just further to... in lives, I go to the full phase, and I feel I have reached a fruition of understanding now. I mean, I may even um, find that I have conflict still, because that's also a separation sign, or I'm really willing to move away from those things that don't work for me in Hmm. relation to my quest. I'm, I'm willing to break them if they're not okay in terms of what I have come to understand, but I have come to some understanding that I feel is the pinnacle. So as I move to the next, that disseminating phase, so um, what are we at, 240 degrees or something? 240? I am now saying I am telling people, you know, what I think. I am telling my partner what I think. There is active energy on my knowing about this relatingness. And I am still, as it is, you know, in that waxing gibbous and in that, you know, the waning moon, the disseminating phase, I have to make adjustments. I'm still adjusting. Okay. But I can uh, begin to understand a little bit more and tell my partner and maybe work things out a little better. But then I come into that last quarter and I I look around and I say, you know, there's something more here. There's something about this partnership thing. It's still not quite the ideal of the equal and separate. It still doesn't have the elements of 
you know, above and mundane, it, it isn't quite there. So I know I'm going to start looking now for the things that I feel out of sync about. And, you know, maybe that will be a, a major expression at that point also. Something will be done about it. You know, so, for instance, if if all the way through these phases one has been in the traditional consensus relationship, when one reaches that last quarter, one might say, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, I'm not going to have this. I'm going to experiment with something different. And from that phase, moving down into the... Um, coming into that last um, sort of close to the, the waning crescent, the, the, um, the energy starts to focus on, here it is. I'm seeing so many different examples of it now. I see the problem. I, I understand what I have to start releasing. And I, I'm in all these things that, you know, aren't really feeling comfortable. And now it's, it's, a, it's almost like a whole new issue mm-hmm. for me. And then when I go further into that dark moon phase or the balsamic phase, that's when, if, you know, if all is working properly, the soul is coming into contact with a lot of the old relationships from other lifetimes re-experiencing the problem issue from a new point of view and, you know, not staying with them, but releasing and hopefully having some way to release that consciousness or pattern, you know, so that it can come into the new moon ready to plant a seed of new awareness, having kind of assimilated the entire issue at that point, for that soul, mm-hmm. not the entire issue for the universe as a whole, but for the soul in its specific journey, which, of course, you have to look at the rest of the chart right. <laughs> to find all of this. But this is just looking at the phase of Venus. Okay. Now, let me, uh, let me ask a couple of questions, if I may. Um, first, um, you, am I, you did give some, again, some unusual numbers relating to the 45 degree divisions should i assume that you meant to say uh a 45 degree division if you didn't actually say the number just just a moment ago yeah you should you should put the right numbers in (laughs) okay um now the other thing is um now you've described each of the phases but but at no point did you say and in this phase we have only happy perfect fulfilling relationships obviously nothing can guarantee that but I, I can hear some of my listeners already wondering, well, every single phase between Venus and Mars has some kind of problem. Does this mean that regardless of what my Venus-Mars well, phase is, no, I'm doomed not to uh, have a happy, fulfilling relationship? No, uh, I don't think that. And thanks for asking that. I think that's a great question. Um, the phase it doesn't, again, it doesn't address the entire chart. And the, the degrees of the phase will also hold other degrees, like a sextal you know, a trine, you know, will hold the ones that make life flow more easily. But generally speaking, uh, we're just looking at phase to see the soul's development and what the soul is needing to do. 
um, other things in the chart and, you know, other qualities are going to show it's not just Venus and Mars. Mm-hmm. Again, that's my talk was beyond Venus and Mars. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, but we did talk about phase relationship, um, and that was, you know, how the soul is moving in learning. You know, sure. Now, one how, one the, how the relationships are just that they <laughs> that involves so much more, of course, in the chart than just you know, what's the degree between Venus and Mars? But, I mean, I think any astrologer would say that if you've got a square between Venus and Mars or an opposition between Venus and Mars, there could be some issues. And if you've got the inconjunct, there are things that need to be resolved. Yes. Not that they can't be. Right. That will also be seen by other factors. Okay, great. Thank you for clarifying that. One other question. Um, Yeah. If you track progress Venus and progress Mars through the lifetime, and as they, if they shift relationship by progression, does that indicate a movement into a new phase, or uh, you know, my own? Well, um, how would that affect the core natal interpretation? Right. Well, the core natal, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in the core natal being <laughs> the core around which other things are, you know, being added. It's like being added into your toolbox or your toolkit, and it's going to show places where you're going to be able to gain more knowledge or have more experience or, you know, have obstacles, you know, that will create opportunities. Yeah. So, yes, as you as you go through progression, you know, you, you can have look at a certain chart, you know, may have a, if you're looking at secondary, progressions, uh, which is the most common one that's used, I think, um, you, you, would, you might have a Venus that goes retrograde, you know, a week after you're born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but your solar arc progression is going to continue one degree per year. Right. So the chart becomes a multi-layer experience, I think. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really is ultimately, uh, this is how I look at it, we have made contract decisions. This is a, a system of belief that I think is true. And we are going to go as far as we have chosen to go. You know, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in the, in the web of life mm-hmm. and that we have our assignments, we meet people at the assigned moment. You know, astrologers can see aspects indicating that, you know. Right. Um, I think that the whole, for me, the whole thing is the opportunity to grow. Mm. So if we, you know, when we get to that wonderful 60th year, our whole chart is sextile in the solar arc. (laughs) (laughs) Every planet is sextile itself. Yeah. So we should, at 60, <laughs> having had our second Saturn return, we should have some wisdom under our belt <laughs> by now. Absolutely. You know. But in terms of the secondary progression, you know, you could you could look at it also and say what you said. I think you can say that it is an opportunity to move in understanding, but the core um, is the core. Right. 
Like you wouldn't, if your Venus went into a new sign, it wouldn't mean that your 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 total life experience relationship core changed. Right. It's just sort of a. I I, I liken it to a transparent overlay, for example, on yeah. the original. I like that image. Now, in our remaining time, um, yeah. I would love to have you talk about your understanding of how the the phase relationship. Now that we understand how phase relationship works, we can probably deal with this a lot more concisely. Uh, how the relationship between Venus and Moon relates to how comfortably one can actually cohabitate with right. one's love, and I would love for you yeah. to kind of you know that's an important that. piece of really <laughs> if you're going to try and bring it home. Yeah, you know, um, and for some people that works better than it does for others, and we really have to honor the sign that our Moon is in because it's going to show how we are in mm-hmm. our home, and that's going to work better with other signs than. It does with others. But in the phase relationship to Venus, it shows how well we can allow romance and our home and the way we, you know, do family to interact. So, you know, if you have a conjunction, the new moon phase, then it's very easy. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's the desire. The desire is to bring it home and keep it close. And in Camilla's chart, for example, she has an almost exact Moon-Venus conjunction that shows yes, that, she right? she does. Yeah. Which is also interesting as a, as a phase of Venus, too. It's almost necessary for her to get that, you know, get more understanding <laughs> about interacting. Keep it close and, you know, keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so then if you move into, you know, a more... Um, it, you know, the waxing chrysosextal phase, if you like, then you have also got an easy flow um, between the the home and the Venus. It's, you know, it's easy to be in the home with that person. Maybe you don't have to be sitting next to them on the couch. When you watch television, they can maybe sit in a different chair, mm-hmm. you know, but you still can, <laughs> you know, it's easy. Right. And this is also assuming that the the moon signs get along and the ruler of the fourth house, because we talked about that too. Yeah. But, and but the phases. Okay, so the phase can go further now, and we can get a square. So when we get the square phase, and this is really any square phase, okay? I mean, if it's, if it's the waxing or the waning square... The moon and the Venus being in square is going to find it much more difficult to maintain the romantic aspect of Venus when it is in the house. There are going to be a lot of adjustments that have to be made. And in certain cases, it might be easier not to have them in the house, but to have them nearby, Mm -hmm. you know, to have them... Not, you know, completely far, but not necessarily in the house. I mean, it could even be that a separate bedroom would work mm-hmm. right. better if Venus and and uh, the moon are in a square aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, there's no uh, set idea for what to do. That, again, you have to look at where is Venus, where's the moon, what the signs are, you know, what would work best. And I had an example with me at the meeting where Venus was in the third house. So I had suggested that that might work. Some, you know, get an apartment in the same building, you know, be in the neighborhood, but don't right. 
live in the house. And there were other factors in that person's chart, as you might remember, in the yeah. fourth house, uh, Sun-Pluto conjunction in Virgo, making them quite fussy <laughs> <laughs> in their home, right? Yeah. So it was probably better for Venus if she wasn't there, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a country-western song, I don't remember the artist, but the title was Live Close, Visit Often. <laughs> it might exactly describe this. Exactly. You know, maybe if you found that artist's chart, you'd find uh, the, the person who wrote this song, you'd find that. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we, we must be expressing our charts, right? And just to be super clear, um, you're talking about the aspect within your own natal chart. Mm-hmm. And this would therefore relate to anyone you interact with, regardless yes. you know, of other factors. Yes. All I right. mean, it could be easier if the moon signs are very compatible right? or even the same. You know, it could be a little easier to work things out, mm-hmm. you know, than it would be if, let's say, you have the a moon in Cancer living with a moon in Aquarius. Right. You know, um, so again, it, these are just pieces to add into the rest of the interpretation. Right. Right. So um, then you have, uh, you come over to the opposition. Oh, actually, first the inconjunct, sorry. And in the inconjunct phase, you have always got adjustment. And one of the key factors of that inconjunct is that you would would put the moon um, as the first, as the ascendant. So what we're looking at is being able to reconcile. The, the, the independent self in the home, the mm-hmm. independence of my being in a home situation hmm. with my romantic life. Right. So it becomes a little bit less comfortable, and again, there's no one way to resolve that. Mm-hmm. But when you look at all the factors in the chart, you can see the one that might work best. Okay. Right? And also looking at the condition of the fourth house ruler and the seventh house ruler, etc. When we go to full moon is where we hit that critical place. This is a pretty critical place because they're in opposite places. Mm-hmm. And um, so it is difficult and almost impossible for particularly a person who's not conscious of these things, like that I have a moon opposition Venus, mm-hmm. But moon, you know, these energies are not that easy to control. So if the moon says, I live here, but I love there, somewhere else, Mm -hmm. completely away from the home, then if you try to bring love home, which most people will, because of society still saying you're supposed to get married, live together, whatever, it is going to put a tremendous strain, and some people, and I used an example of someone who was honest enough to say, I can't live with anyone, mm-hmm. because the minute it becomes mundane home issues, uh, romance goes out the window, and I have to look for romance outside. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was at least an awareness of self. Right. It was, it was an understanding out of experience that that was the case for that person. Yeah. So the the opposition is the most difficult when it comes to actually bringing it in hmm. the house. Okay. Love. And then the other phases are the same on the other side when you look at this. You know, so it can be an inconjunct on either side. It can be a square on either side, you know, a full or, um, I mean, a, a waxing 
square or a waning square. Okay, beautiful. The issue is the square. Okay, thank uh, you. So you, you pretty much have it. Okay. Now, we are about at the hour mark for our interview, and so we do need to kind of bring things to a close, but are there any things you want to be sure to mention or bring out, you know, before we do our wrap-up? Well, I mean, I would say, as I just mentioned, you know, don't just look at that, look at everything. <laughs> of course. Um, and it will be very interesting to compare the two people in terms of their phases, because there can be a great difference, and that is also something that if you're talking to a couple, they need to understand that. Okay. Um, and, uh, again, I would direct you to, to the work of Buzz, Buzz Myers, which you can probably still find his books and some of his lectures and on the phases it, themselves, because it is fascinating. And hmm. the fact that every planet is in phase with another one, if you're looking at it from the evolutionary point of view. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I do have one, one follow-up question. Um, yeah. Again, you've been talking about the relationship between Venus and Mars or Venus and the Moon in the single person's natal chart. Um, is there any meaningful information to be gained by looking at the inter-aspects between a couple's, like his Venus, her Mars, etc., and they, the way they interact? Can you use the same kind of thinking between the charts, or do you have to keep this kind of thinking within the individual chart itself? Well, the kind of thinking of phases has to do with the individual. Okay. His partner may have a very different phase. If okay. that's what you mean. So that you would have to look at and explain, like I said, with Camilla just starting out and with Charles having this coming in. <laughs> that's why she couldn't get him to be what she wanted him to be to begin with. Right. But later in life, it was it was possible. He'd been through enough. Mm. Okay. Right? So there are certain things that you can you, you compare in the in the chart comparison. Whether you could use them in the composite is an interesting question, mm -hmm. and probably is something, um, not in terms of evolution, but in terms of how we're going to feel. Like if you have a composite chart with a client, you know, clients that, you know, it's a moon opposition, Venus. Right. That may be a, a very valid point. Hmm. You know, that's the, the phase issue, and or a square. Okay. You know, and the phase issues between Venus and Mars, I don't think in terms of phases as much as it would be. The moon might be more so. Okay. But in terms of the actual inter-aspects, like, you know, the man's Venus to the woman's moon, this kind of thing would not apply oh, to that, would it? In other words, inter-aspects between the two charts in the in the context of what you've been describing. Does that even have validity? I, I would say that that is, again, where I, I haven't really looked at it that way, but I would say that that is always an important consideration because the moon is saying, you know, this is, this is my inner child and what I feel I need and I react to things this way, mm -hmm. but your Venus is like this. Mm, so that's okay. how you value and love me. Does that work with that little inner child? But as, in terms of being a phase relationship, um, I'm not sure about that. Okay. I think it's, uh, I would be looking at it more on that level of, you know, I mean, I, I have my moon in Gemini, and, and, but you have your Venus in, you know, whatever, 
cancer or something, and okay. uh, I, I need you to talk to me, and all you want to do is make me cookies. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I mean, I don't know if it matters that, that it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a new phase. Right. I, I So I'm getting the phase is not, you wouldn't apply the phase idea between two charts. You would just keep I it to the single the chart. I think the phase issues, and I, I mean, I, I'm not saying this is totally true. This is what's coming up for me. This is my point of view on it. Uh-huh. This is looking from the point of view of the evolution of a human being. Okay. Otherwise, the phases don't really make as much sense as with Venus and Mars, you know, because right. you're, you're suggesting that you've come all the way around. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um, the, the moon phases to Venus are another way of looking at degree aspects in a person's chart. Those right. are kind of a little bit different. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely getting the feeling that the, the phase idea would not apply if I'm looking at a Venus to a moon in another person's chart. I don't okay. think so. Okay, I, just, I didn't think so either, but I thought I'd throw it out there and see what you said. But, you know, <laughs> <buy> it. <laughs> That's what I said. You know, like anybody can investigate, and if they come up with something, I mean, you know, we're, we're <laughs> you know, we would be open to hearing it. Okay. All right. Now, as we close, I wanted to mention a couple things about you I didn't get in on the intro. Um, back in 1980, you co-authored the book Passion Planets, The Astrology of Relationships, yeah. which is out of print, but I did notice it is still available used on Amazon. Oh, how nice. So uh, wow. I'm, I'm guessing there's still some helpful information. <laughs> well, it was interesting. Yeah. It was an interesting book to write. <laughs> I co-authored that. Okay. Um, so uh, would you still recommend that people check that out if they yes. can find it? Okay. Yes, I would. Okay, good. And are you still doing your blog talk radio program? I am, but I'm taking a break in July, so okay. um, there's one more show um, before I take that break, and then that's the 26th of June. I'm going to be talking about Jupiter and Cancer. Okay, and it's called Esoterically Speaking? Yes. Okay, and will you resume it after that, or do you have an idea if you're going to keep it I'm, running? I'm hoping to. Okay, yes. but they can check out, like, archive editions online and all Absolutely. that? Absolutely, I hope okay. they will. And can they access... Uh, with a wonderful astrologer from the UK, by the way. We were doing evolutionary astrology. Sweet. Jones, that was the 19th. Nice. So uh, can they access that, that show from your website, astralessence.com? Not at this point, because that's one of the things that's happening. I'm undergoing change. Ah. But if they Googled, esoterically speaking, would they find, find the show somehow? If they went to blogtalkradio.com and they searched my name, okay. Shelly Enteen, and esoterically speaking, they should come up with me. Okay. And just because you're not everyone may spell your name correctly, I'm going to spell it out just to be clear. That's true. Um, S-H-E-L-L-I-E, and the last name is E-N-T-E-E-N. Is Thank that correct? You. Okay. And also, um, I do have an Astrolessence Facebook page. <laughs> Oh, nice. If people want to get daily forecasts, which I, I may not be doing at the beginning of July. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. And if and if someone wanted to just call you on the phone, would you be comfortable giving out a phone number that they could call you at? I really love email. Okay. And that's um, Shelly at astrolessons.com? Yes. Okay, and I'll spell that just so people can be clear. S-H-E-L-L-I-E at... A-S-T-R-A-L-E-S-S-E-N-C-E dot com. I really like that. Cool. And I, I can, t- my, my busy moon in Gemini likes to be able to get to it when I can. <laughs> I understand. 
Yeah, it's it's a weird. We've actually come to a point where phone calls almost seem rude to some people. It's like, well, why didn't you just text me? I could have I communicated at my leisure. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's. I mean, really, I'm I'm one of the rare people that doesn't always. You know, I'm not a slave to my phone. I don't know why. I'm the same way, you know. That's what voicemail is for, you know. A lot of times we're busy, you know. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. All right. Well, any closing thoughts, Shelley, before we wrap the interview? Well, my closing thought is that everyone's perfect exactly the way they are. Yay! <laughs> I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a great pleasure, Shelley. Thank you so much. At Astro Shaman, I offer a unique mix of services, astrology, guided invocations, shamanic astrology, and shamanic healing. All services are as effective via phone or Skype as they are in person. Choose one or mix and match in the same session. Western astrology offers insights into soul purpose, career, relationships, spirituality, timing, relocation, and more. With guided invocations, you can learn how to call on your own divine essence for healing, awakening, or flowing divine energy to others. Shamanic astrology lets you communicate directly with your planet's living intelligence so that they express more harmoniously in your life. And with shamanic healing, you can experience full-spectrum healing and expanded spiritual consciousness customized for your highest good. I also offer electional astrology to help you pick the perfect date and time for any important event. My services are offered on a sliding scale. You can get a 20% discount during your birthday month, and gift certificates are always available. I work with clients all around the world via phone and Skype. You get a free digital recording of your session, and I accept PayPal and all major credit cards. Finally, my guarantee makes it risk-free. If you don't feel that your experience was helpful, it's free. For more information or to set an appointment, visit astroshaman.com. Email info at astroshaman.com or call 828-338-9852. I love my work, and I look forward to being of service to you. We're wrapping up another edition of This Week in Astrology. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend or post or tweet about us or donate to support us at thisweekinastrology.com. You can link to our Facebook and Twitter feeds where I post daily forecasts either from thisweekinastrology.com or astroshaman.com. You can listen to This Week in Astrology on your smartphone or tablet through stitcher.com. And if you're an iTunes subscriber, please do subscribe through iTunes so that we can maintain our status as the number one astrology podcast on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, may the stars light your way. This Week in Astrology is copyright 2013 by Astro Shaman. All rights reserved, although rampant sharing of this podcast is encouraged. You can access my free comprehensive audio archive from thisweekinastrology.com. If you'd like me to illustrate the weekly forecast with your chart, please send me your date, time, and city of birth. Sending in your chart data also gives you a chance to win a free session with me every time the seasons change. I welcome your general astrology questions and comments about the show and your specific personal questions. Just send an email to info at astroshaman.com. I look forward to making you a part of This Week in Astrology.
Here's this week's index. Our overview begins at 2 minutes, Monday, 3.29, Tuesday, 3.40, Wednesday, 5.12, Thursday, 8.24, Friday, 10 minutes even, Saturday, 11.22, Sunday, 11.53, next week's transits, 13.20, announcements, 15.11, and our interview with astrologer Shelley Enteen, 19.18. Thank you so much for listening to This Week in Astrology.